Welcome to the Cheyenne Vineyard Podcast, bringing you a message of hope for your everyday world. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. That is the best song to sing right before we release the kids. We're starting a new uh, curriculum today, Heaven is Really Real. And so we have started to deck out our room. You might want to take a look. The kids are going to walk through the pearly gates and be in heaven. And Colton Burpo is teaching us something new every week about what he saw in heaven. So every week we'll be adding things to the room as the kids learn all about it. Because heaven is real. We do have great hope of an awesome place we're going to be forever with Jesus. And Jesus is the best part. Colton talks about how Jesus really, really loves kids. He talks about how kind his eyes are. The kids are going to learn some awesome stuff. The parents, you can take your kids and chuck them in. Bet you wish you were a kid again. Because after that, I, I probably wouldn't blame you. <laughs> Mm. Ah, so <clears throat> I want to spend at least today uh, looking at the atonement, uh, and I, I think we'll we'll be looking at the cross also next week, and then. On Resurrection Sunday, I mean, what what else are you going to talk about? But the resurrection, the greatest victory uh, in the history of the world. Uh, <clears throat> so I, I have um, a question, a proposition for you. When we moved in here, uh, this is the first time I've ever really wanted to have a sunrise service because all we got to do is open the shades. <laughs> and, I mean, we're going to have the best view of sunrise of the, that I can imagine in, in a church. So what do you think about having a, a sunrise resurrection Sunday service? Anybody up for that? <laughs> no, we won't start at nine o'clock, Jack. <laughs> but thankfully, uh, it was daylight savings time today, so it, it will not seem as early. <laughs> As it would have, <laughs> it won't won't be as early uh, on on the clock. So, <clears throat> yeah, I I think uh, why don't we do that? So I'll I'll put that in the in the emails the next couple of weeks and and we'll we'll just try that and see how it goes. I I don't think we'll do a sunrise and a ten o'clock. I think we'll just do the the sunrise. <clears throat> so, 
The translation of gospel is good news. And it really is good news. And it's, it's such good news as to be almost unbelievable to those who have never heard it. And, and for those of us who are very familiar with the good news, um, it's not as striking to us as, as it once was. Uh, and I think we need to keep this in mind for, for those who... you turn me down just a, a trim just a little bit, maybe? <clears throat> we have to keep in mind that those who haven't heard it, they, they need to hear it and be prepared to share just how amazing it is. And, and so a, a key part of our ability to communicate the gospel, the good news to others, is understanding what really happened uh, on the cross, uh, just what what the atonement is is all about, and you know theologians um, they spend a lot of time looking at why questions, and the Bible isn't real good about answering why questions. It's, it's real good about answering what questions. <laughs> and, and so um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm not going to uh, present to you a my pet theology on, on the atonement. Because uh, really, uh, you know, I grew up in, in the Reformed tradition uh, being taught a penal substitution view of of the atonement, and you know there there are aspects of of that theology, that doctrine that that I like and and that are very biblical, and and there are some aspects of it that uh, are are maybe questionable uh, biblically, and and as I've looked at uh, a number of, of different theories of the atonement. I, I think they all kind of have that same aspect. There, there are certain parts of them that, that are clearly biblical, other ideas that maybe not so much. And, and now that theologians have had about 2,000 years to work on this, we, we've got a whole variety of theologies to, to choose from. Uh, the, the Christus Victor idea advocated by Greg Boyd in, in our generation, uh, but going back many centuries. Uh, the penal substitution view that, that basically uh, sort of came out of Anselm and, and his work on a substitutionary model, but but really was developed by the major reformers, Luther and 
Calvin and others. Uh, and then there's the ransom theory that started way back with Origen and was advocated by Augustine and many of the early church fathers. Uh, a governmental view and, and even a healing view. And, and I'll tell you, that one uh, is, uh, is a rather compelling view. Uh, many of, of the theories of, of the atonement uh, look at the legal aspects of it. And, and the Bible says some things very clearly about that. Um, but the, the healing idea or the, the healing school of thought related to the atonement uh, is rooted in the idea of God revealing himself as healer. I am the God who heals. And wanting to bring a, a fulfillment of that uh, that stretched beyond physical healing to our spiritual healing and, and wholeness. And so that's, that's an interesting school of thought that I'm, I'm going to look into more. But like I said, I don't want to try to convince you of anything. I just want to show you some of the things that the Bible says about it today because those are the things that, that we, we can be clear in our belief about. And as a result, be ready to share with other people. So, a couple things, uh, a couple passages just to start with. Um, the, the word atonement uh, is, is one of the only theological terms that has its origin in the English language. And what it means is a, a reconciliation between two parties who had something between them. And you can, you can just take that word apart. Atonement at one meant... Uh, it's taking the two that were separated and, and making them one again. And, and the beauty of the cross is that Jesus did that in, in such a complete way for us. Uh, and particularly for us as, as Gentile believers, you know, we, we were once far away. From God, I mean, our if if we go back far enough, you know, our our ancestors, you know, who who knows what they were uh, believing in in terms of a, a concept of God, uh, far away from from the God of heaven, but in Christ, we who were once far away have been brought near, and and not only in you know, an, an access to God point of view, although that is one of the aspects, but 
by God actually giving us his Holy Spirit now, that at-one-ment idea, it's, it, is, it is truly uh, who we are. We, we are one with the Creator God because of, of what Jesus did. Because He is in us, Christ is in us, and we are in Christ. And, and I think that's probably what we're going to look at next week. But this week, I, I just want to look at the atonement, specifically some of the things that, that the Bible talks about. And, you know, one, one of the questions that theologians struggle the most with related to the atonement is, did Jesus have to die? Or maybe even more specifically, why did Jesus have to die? Because we, I mean, we assume that since he did, and and we know that no one took his life from him; he gave it willingly. Uh, why? Why did that have to happen? So Romans six twenty three tells us the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we're all sinners. We, we all deserve those wages of sin that, that are death. We, we earned them. That's really what, what that verse is saying. You know, when you work, you earn wages. You, you are due wages. Well, we all have worked in the area of sin. We have earned the wages of, of death and deserve them. But there's a free gift of life, eternal life in Christ Jesus. And 2 Corinthians 5.21, we're going to look at that passage a little more later. But this is a really important aspect of, of the atonement, that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we know uh, that Jesus became the, the perfect lamb of God. He, he became the perfect sacrifice. He, he was without sin. Yet he became sin. And, and that's one of the aspects of the atonement that theologians spend a lot of time thinking about is, okay, how did that happen? How, how did Jesus become sin? And, you know, really that is not the important question. <laughs> he did. He who had no sin became sin for us so that we could receive the free gift of eternal life. So, <clears throat> that, that word atonement, it, it makes us think of the holiest day on, on the Jewish calendar, the Day of Atonement. And I'm not going to get into uh, the fall feasts, because we, we spent some time last year looking in detail at at the fall feasts, the, the Day of Trumpets 
and the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles. So remember what we studied in, in that regard. But the Day of Atonement, or the Day of Trumpets, points to the return of Jesus. The Day of Atonement pointed to the atoning sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And the Feast of Trumpets points toward the time when God will come to earth and dwell with us, his people. And so we, we look forward to the fulfillment of the Day of Trumpets and, and the Feast of Tabernacles uh, and, and the ultimate fulfillment of even the Day of Atonement for, for the church. But that's, that's not where we're going today. So I, I want to look at some key Bible passages uh, related to the atonement. And I'm not going to say a whole lot about them because they, they speak pretty clearly uh, to us of, of what the truth is. And one of the important passages uh, from a, a healing perspective of the atonement is, is John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And it's interesting, the Greek word in verse 17, that the world might be saved through him, is, is sozo. And we're familiar with that word because it means more than just salvation to eternal life. It means being healed, physically, and in our souls. It, it means being brought into abundance of life. It, it means uh, being brought into wholeness. And, and so, you know, as, as I've looked a little bit at that healing school of thought related to the atonement, and, uh, you know, certainly I see healing in the atonement, and, and we're going to look at that in Isaiah 53. Uh, but it, it seems that that may be one of the motivating factors behind the whole thing. But, but this is something that, that I think we need to keep in mind that, that I, I think would simplify the approach of a lot of theologians if they kept this in mind. That, that when God does something, it's consistent with all of who he is. Uh, and especially something as huge and important as Jesus on the cross and, and the atonement. When, when God the Father, in, in cooperation with God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, brought this event Forth, it was completely consistent with 
God being the God of justice. It, it was completely consistent with him being the God who heals uh, and, and the God who provides and God who is our salvation and all the aspects of him. <laughs> and and I, I think a lot of times theologians, they want to just focus on one thing and say it has to be this, when in reality it's all of this. <laughs> it's, it's not either or and not anything else. It's, it's yes and, and and yes and. So I think that may be helpful in, in our understanding of, of this as, as we go along. Uh, we, we need to understand the importance of blood to, to the Lord. And Leviticus 17.11 points this out. This is when the Lord was uh, giving the rules related to blood and, and meat, and, and he didn't want his people to consume any blood. He, he wanted the, the animals to be bled out, and he, he didn't want them to have anything to do with that blood. But this is one of the things that the Lord said through Moses, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. And we're going to see some other passages related to the blood that, I mean, one specifically, without blood there's no forgiveness of sin. So, it yes, it had to be this this way. Uh, for for God to accomplish everything that He wanted to accomplish in atonement, it, it had to be this way. And the next passage, uh, Hebrews chapter nine, starting in in verse twenty two. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. And this, I mean... Paul, or whoever wrote Hebrews, I, I tend to think it was Paul, gives us some real insight here that, that the whole tabernacle of Moses and the whole sacrificial system, it was a type of, of some, th some much higher reality that exists in heaven. This wasn't just something that God came up with for for his people, the Jews, in, in the Old Testament. No, there, there was, there's, there's a higher functioning system actually in heaven. For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. 
nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And that was kind of what we tried to do with the songs this morning, <laughs> was was give us that whole picture <laughs> uh, of the cross, the resurrection, and, and the return, uh, and, and the, the beautiful message of, of the beautiful man, Jesus, who accomplished all of this for us. And, and one of the things that the early theologians uh, struggled with uh, was the fact that, that the debt uh, of sin was owed by mankind. It was owed by men. And it was owed to God. And, and so what, what could man possibly pay to God to, to cover our debt? Because, and, and this, is, this is one of the ideas where, where I think they actually were on the right track, uh, and I think it was Anselm who, who wrote about this, and I might actually even share some of what he wrote specifically at the end if we have time. But he was saying, okay, man, even if man tried to pay God everything that wasn't God, it still wouldn't be enough because God would be greater. So so the only way to pay would would be to pay with God because then there would be nothing greater but the debt had to be paid by man so therefore God had to become man. <laughs> so that man could pay with pay God with God. And I mean that that is that is one of the best explanations of, of the atonement that, that I've ever seen. Uh, and it it answers the question of why did God have to become man? Well, there you go. And I, I think the passage in Hebrews uh, really speaks of that. Because we know on the cross, not only was Jesus the sacrifice, 
he was also the high priest. Because the one who, act, who was the high priest of Israel at the time had disqualified himself in the whole process of getting Jesus on the cross. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, there, this is one of those things where there is just so much depth. <laughs> uh, all I can really hope to do is get about six inches deep, and, and that really is enough for us to truly appreciate what happened in the atonement. And it's, it's certainly enough for us to communicate the benefits of it to, to those who are outside the faith now. Because that, that is what we want to be able to do. So next, let's look at, at one of the greatest prophetic passages in, in the whole Bible, Isaiah 53 written hundreds of years before Jesus uh, came to the earth. So we'll, we'll just, uh, we'll probably go through the whole chapter. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And I mean, clear. It, it's so clear that Isaiah is is speaking of Jesus and and so many aspects of of who he was in in this passage, and what he accomplished. Now, verse four is is a very key verse for our understanding of healing, and it's it's repeated in Matthew and in in Peter. Surely he has borne our griefs which is also translated sickness elsewhere in the Old Testament, and carried our sorrows, which is many times translated pain in the Old Testament. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement or the punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, 
who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for transgressors. Um, <clears throat> There's just, I mean, the whole life of Jesus on into eternity as a man is, is all here. <laughs> uh, you, you can just dig deeper and deeper and, and find more and more in, in this passage. But it's all there. He, he bore our iniquities. And now he makes intercession. <laughs> transgressors uh, and he brought life to many uh, we're, we're part of that many but he he bore our sicknesses and carried our pain and by his wounds we are healed so we, we need to not have a question of whether it's God's will that someone be healed. He already paid for it. Now sometimes we're not able to appropriate it. But the fact that we're not always able to appropriate it <laughs> on, on this side of Eternity doesn't negate the fact that God's desire is that we be healed and made whole. And, and that's why we, we continue to press into healing <laughs> so that we can appropriate it more and more of the time. And we're, we are appropriating it more of the time than we used to. And if the Lord tarries in a few years, we'll be appropriating him more than we are now, I, I believe. So, <clears throat> anyway, um, one, one of the key passages for the, the ransom view, and uh, it's, it's one of the older schools of thought that's highly criticized by some aspects of it, but... I share this verse because 
every school of thought of the atonement has some basis in, in Scripture, and that basis is, is going to be true. <laughs> Other aspects of it may not be that have come through the, just the intellectualizing of theologians. But Mark 10.45 tells us, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So was Jesus a ransom? Yeah. <laughs> Are all the other aspects of that theory correct? I, some of them I, I definitely think are not. But we're told that Jesus' life was a ransom for many. Uh, what, what I'd like to do next is make sure that we understand uh, some of the churchy terms <laughs> that, that are used in relation to the atonement. Um, <clears throat> propitiation is <laughs> one of those terms uh, that... I, I, I would bet anybody whether or not you've ever heard that word used outside of a church building. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure nobody ever has. Uh, so the Greek word that's translated propitiation means to satisfy or placate, uh, as in the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament uh, that were done on an annual basis for those with faith. Most evangelicals see Jesus' propitiation for us satisfying God's demand for justice and righteousness. And, and that is uh, related to the, the substitution or the penal substitution view. And a couple passages that relate to that, that word, that concept, Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 22. And I'll start in the middle of verse 22. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. So that shows us that the blood of Jesus was the propitiation to be received by faith. And and, and that is the way that we receive all the benefits of, of the atonement, is, is by faith, by being persuaded that these things are true, and including the healing. And also Hebrews chapter 2, speaking of Jesus, starting in verse 17, 
Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. So it, it's interesting, the, the Romans passage and, and the Hebrews passage, they, they look at the two sides of, of propitiation. One of Jesus being the sacrifice and his blood being the propitiation. And then the passage in Hebrews looking at Jesus as the high priest who brought forth the propitiation with the sacrifice that was himself. Uh, and I, atonement is, is the next word that I have here uh, that I think I already covered a little bit. Um, it's a New Testament word that really means reconciliation between parties that were once separated being brought back together. And <clears throat> remember how as believers, those who have been made new creations by faith, how the depth of our oneness, of our at-oneness <laughs> with God by having the deposit of his Holy Spirit within us, we, we are one with Christ. So, a couple passages related to the atonement, reconciliation. First uh, John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Christ Jesus, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. And this, this is one passage that, uh, you know, there, there are different views of the atonement in terms of, was it limited? to only certain people? Or was it universal it, that it applies to everybody? And it, it, this is one of those cases where semantics are a little bit important because there, there are some in, in the church who, who believe in universal atonement that there is not even a response of faith required for the atonement to cover them. And I certainly don't see that. Uh, there definitely is a response of faith required for us to receive the benefits of, of the atonement. Now the passage that I just read in First John would would question or bring into question those those who have a limited atonement 
view. But when you really look at, uh, at how Calvin developed that, uh, based on predestination and election, uh, you know, if, if faith is required, uh, then anybody who has faith was elect <laughs> or predestined to receive the benefits of the atonement. And, and I, I guess that, that kind of brings the two a little closer. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I tend to have a more Arminian view that that God will accept anybody who says yes and responds in faith to, to receive him. Uh, but the, the Calvinists would say, well, well, they were elect and predestined anyway. God knew they were going to say yes, and, and I can't argue with that. I, I have no issue with election and predestination. I mean, God knows the end from the beginning. <laughs> he he knows who who is is gonna respond in faith and and who is not. And and so, I don't think it's worth arguing about <laughs> whether the ones who said no, if they said yes, <laughs> would would they actually be saved? Could they actually be saved? Uh, it's. <laughs> And that's basically what the Calvinists and the Arminians argue about. It's kind of ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> so, again, I, I'm not trying to convince you whether one's right or the other is right. The, the end result is the same. <laughs> God knows the ones who are going to say yes, and the atonement absolutely applies to everybody who says yes. I think that's enough. Uh, <clears throat> another passage related to the atonement is uh, Romans 5, uh, starting in verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And that's, that's a great passage about reconciliation. And that, that also kind of points to where we're going next week, about being saved through his life. We, we receive all these benefits of the atonement because of his death and our response of faith being persuaded that this is true and that these benefits are, are ours. Uh, but there's even more in his life. <laughs> um <clears throat> Another word that, that is more common to us is, is the word sacrifice. Uh, 
And by that we mean to pay the penalty of death that we deserved because of our sins. And Christ did die as a sacrifice for us. And one of the passages that speaks about that is Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And, and that, I mean, that's, that's just a beautiful verse, verse 2. And, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then there's the word reconciliation that is a, a little uh, different than atonement, but it's very much a big part of atonement. And that is to overcome separation. <clears throat> we, humanity, needed someone to provide that reconciliation and therefore bring us back into fellowship with God. See, the atonement is, is that oneness that we're brought into. Reconciliation doesn't go as far. It speaks of being brought back into fellowship, relationship, rather than all the way to, to oneness. And there are, there are more passages that speak of reconciliation. Uh, so 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 18, we'll look at. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ... God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And I, I like, uh, I think it's the New American Standard that says, as if God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But that really is the key passage of reconciliation in, in the New Testament. Because not only were we reconciled to God in Christ, but once we have appropriated that reconciliation through our response of faith, we now are brought into the ministry of reconciliation. And, and it is our responsibility to, to bring that message of reconciliation to, to those out there who haven't yet heard the good news. Because we, we are God's ambassadors to, to them. 
Have you heard the good news of the gospel? Um, the last word I think I want to look at is, is redeemed. This is an important word also that we, again, rarely hear outside of the walls of a church, but we need to really understand what it means. It means that we are purchased or bought back from our bondage to sin and Satan. Uh, because as sinners we are in bondage to sin and Satan, we need someone to provide redemption and thereby redeem us or purchase us out of that bondage. As we're told in First John that the whole world lies under the power of, of the evil one. So we, we need to be purchased out of that. <clears throat> and uh, a, a good modern-day example of redemption is uh, what happens at a pawn shop. Uh, an item is surrendered for money <laughs> to the pawn shop. Uh, and if, if that money isn't paid back with high interest, then the pawn shop now owns that. So the pawn shop is like <laughs> the kingdom of darkness. <laughs> you ever been in a pawn shop? <laughs> never, never mind. <laughs> There's generally plenty of darkness operating around pawn shops anyway. But when when we buy, if if I go in and I've I've bought a lot of musical equipment at pawn shops over the years, uh, when I buy something, I, I'm redeeming it. It is no longer under the ownership or control of that kingdom. <laughs> it's it's now part of my kingdom, and I I have control over it and ownership of it and. And that really is, is the idea. You know, our, our sin, if we were to not sin, then we would not be in bondage to the kingdom of darkness. But because of our sin, we, we end up in bondage to the kingdom of darkness. Just, that's the way it works. And so we need someone... We need Jesus to purchase us back from that kingdom so that we're now in his kingdom and under essentially bondage to him because he owns us. And we'll see that is exactly what, what has happened. Um, Galatians 3, starting in verse 13. So Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. And a, another verse, First uh, Corinthians 16, or 6 rather, verses 19 and 20. And th this is... This one really kind of spells it out. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have 
from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And and that just speaks of that change in, in ownership that happens through redemption. Uh, you and I are not our own. We, we have been bought with a price, and, and the highest price anybody ever paid for anything. The, the sacrifice of God on, on the cross. And we have the Holy Spirit because we have responded through faith. And the last one of 1 Peter 1, starting in uh, verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. So that is what, we're, what we were redeemed with, <laughs> the, the precious blood of Christ Jesus. So I, I think I will read you this little uh, statement from Anselm, uh, just, just because it's, it's so good. Uh, Satisfaction cannot be made unless there be someone able to pay God for man's sin something greater than all that is beside God. Now nothing is greater than all that is beside God except God himself. None, therefore, can make this satisfaction except God. And none ought to make it except man. If then it be necessary that the kingdom of heaven be completed by man's admission, and if man cannot be admitted unless the aforesaid satisfaction for sin be first made, and if God only can and man only ought to make this satisfaction, then necessarily one must make it who is both God and man. <laughs> and we know that's exactly what happened. So in other words, only we owe the debt, but we can't pay it. Only God can pay the debt, but he doesn't owe it. Therefore, only a God-man, i.e. Jesus Christ, can both bear the guilt of human sin and pay the debt incurred by it. This is why God became man. That's that's awesome. <laughs> Shall we pray? <laughs> Father, we're just so filled with 
gratitude and thanksgiving for what you did for us. There, there literally was no way for us to, to make it to you. So you came and made the way and showed us the way. And you, you redeemed us, you reconciled us. Um, we thank you for the atonement of Jesus. And I, I pray, Lord, that, that you would bring us uh, as your people in, into fullness of that oneness. Uh, that your life, we, 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 would, we would truly enter into your life and your life would, would truly come forth in us and, and through us. So, Jesus, we, we thank you. We, we bow before you. Uh, you are our king, our bridegroom, and, and we love you. I, I pray you'd enable us to love you more, uh, that you would be glorified in us. Amen. Hmm. Don't you just want to shout after that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we, we will have a prayer team over here uh, if anybody needs prayer. Uh, be, be ready to share that ministry of reconciliation as, as God gives opportunity.